If yourself or your child is looking at getting into football, this should be the episode for you. Today with us, we have a youth coach who has helped many youngsters secure contracts in the English football pyramid, as well as being an ambassador for diversity and generally a top guy. We welcome Nathan Gill to the Football Forum podcast. Let's get into the episode. So Nathan, welcome to the FFP. Thanks for joining us as our first guest, actually. Thanks for having me. No, appreciate being here. Brilliant. Well, look, um, as, as Owen said in the introduction, you've got quite a storied career, actually, in football. But I want to kind of scrape it back to the beginning sure. and sort of tell us about your first sort of experiences with football. Uh, I've come from a real sport, sporty family in terms of... So, my father and, three, and his three brothers have all played football. So as early as I can remember... I've been kicking, kicking the ball. One of my earliest memories actually was so I'm naturally right-footed. Was even kicking the ball off the off a brick wall and it coming back, but he wouldn't allow me to kick it twice in my right. If I've kicked it in my right, my next kick has to be in my left. So I must have been three, four. It's literally one of my earliest memories. So now, at the time, I've had this super annoying hit <laughs> because I'm not hitting the ball with my left anyway. It's like reaching the wall. Where the right foot is cut bouncing back. But I can take a corner with both feet. Now, I'll dribble with the ball with my left foot. Wow, so as soon as you could walk there, your dad got you out of the ball. It was there. It was there. um, And had the ball with me ever since, really. So, played played from an early age. um, A couple of stints in 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 academy football. And then I played college. And then at at university. And then a little bit non-league. And then after, after university, it was more on a... On a, on, a, on a casual basis, um, de- de- decent level, um, sort of step five around Birmingham weight, whilst balancing it with a job because you can't commit to the same training equipment yeah. have you when, you, when you're working full-time. And now I find myself in the in a, in a coaching and, and, and scouting. So let's have a look at that, actually, in a bit more detail. So um, I think looking looking at your kind of coaching career, where did that sort of start and and what sort of journey have you had to go on to, to actually get involved in it? Yeah, so again, I, I've always been a football geek, right? So I'm the kind of, from early on, if I'm, if Sky Sports, if the games are, I'm watch, I was watching all the build-up. Yeah, not just from from from, from kickoff watching all the build up, half time, afterwards, all the match a day, and I was just kind of kind of glued to it. When I was young, I'd always go to training early, and then that got me. I remember helping out with the under tens when I was thirteen. Right. Um. So I'm still playing. I'm in thirteens, but I'm doing a little bit the coaching scene now and helping out there. So I've always had that capacity of just trying to trying to coach a little bit. That but more and more as I got injured and injury started to play play a bigger bigger roles. I got older so a bit comes of age that mate. It does it does with a with so with certain helping out with certain coaching capacities. And then I think in lockdown there was um the one hour exercise and, and those kind of things and I was still doing my bits and pieces and I started doing some one to ones and then it just kinda fully fully blew up. And then I went to, when I, I relocated from Birmingham uh, to, to Milton Keynes and got an opportunity to help out the MK Don Centre were excellent. And initially was brought on as an assistant in the, the under-18s. I think with my with my playing experience and background, it helped me to be in, a, in that assistant role where, you're a bit, where you can relate to the players and empathise at that kind of age. And then I've assumed sort of um, head coach roles since. Oh, wow. Okay. So... 
talking about like the coaching in terms of like what sort of qualifications have you had to go through? Because actually looking at your, your LinkedIn is quite impressive, the amount of qualifications. I think, Owen, you've seen quite a few on there from, was it Barcelona or some sort of Barcelona yeah, Academy? Yes. What, what What's that? So the, the Barcelona, again, are, are love. <laughs> so the ethos, the football, the philosophy, the culture, everything, uh, very, very big, big, big on, on, on Barcelona and La Masia um, in regards to what their, their playing style is and how they breed players. So uh, the Barcelona courses are online sort of modules about their, their coaching techniques, the philosophies around it. So many modules are completely away from football. Talking about psychology, how the brain works, how how people learn best. Simple things. It's got you. It's got you thinking in regards to. You may practice a, a specific movement, or so it's a, a strike in the middle of about a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times, and you've got that finished it. But then, when you've got a, a defender pressing you, and you've got pressure, and you've got fans screaming at you, it's almost a completely different experience. Although the action is the same. Or if you don't do the run-up towards the shot, it's not replicated. So what you've been training isn't actually going to help you that much in a, in a match instance unless it's materialistic, unless you do the run beforehand, the movement to get away from your players to get in that position to finish. That all builds it up. So just little things, little trigger movements and thought-provoking ideas. You've got your basic FA qualifications, which I think... Everyone has to go through, and it's kind of it's kind of mandatory. You know, if you want to if you want to if you want a job as an accountant, you've got to do your ACCA exams, or if you want to become a lawyer, you've got to do your undergrad and the LPC and X, Y, and Z. And it'll be the same for football in regards to if you want a certain level of position, or you want to work in an academic football or I level, you'll have to go through those qualifications. And there are you you do get things out of it, but I didn't I wanted to broaden my horizons rather than just the the mandatory FA qualifications. So. Yeah, things like the Barca online ones, just to be something different, actively took my interest and yeah, broaden broaden my broaden my horizons as such. Because you've also got your um, UEFA C badge, haven't you? I got my UEFA C badge. Um, due to start my UEFA B soon. Congratulations! So no, appreciate yeah. that. And then just look look to look to progress that going going forward. So I'm looking forward to to start in the UEFA B. You know, eventually you do UEFA A, you're in the pro license, don't want to run before I can crawl, but... What does it actually mean though? So what's, like, if, it, if you had a UEFA C, I mean, I've got UEFA C as well yeah. myself, but I mean, I look at it like, UEFA C gets you up to a certain level. Yeah. And then what does UEFA B allow? The, the A, the pro license. So, so people want to get involved. Yeah. What, so does, what do they have to go on? I'd say, to be candid, UEFA B is kind of like a 2-1. Yeah. Um, in, in a lot of jobs to filter out, it'll be minimum 2-1 required from your undergrad degree. For a position, for instance, within academy football and above, there'll be kind of at least UA for B minimum required. So it opens up doors in regards to to, to towards that avenue. But I'm always cautious regarding saying this is your qualification, so this is the level of coach you are. As I, I, it, it, it doesn't work like that. I think because you're a UA for B coach, it doesn't mean you're better than the UA for C coach. You can't just look at it on paper. That person's got maybe more experience and or has had that education, but that person might not just had the ad application, um, not, not had the funding, those courses are expensive. Though the the amount of qualified coaches within England compared to the likes of Spain, Germany, Portugal is so, so small because it's so hard to get other qualifications. Well, so is that you saying it, it's easier on the continent to do these qualifications? It's more accessible. It's right, more accessible, okay. they're more widely run. Is a higher chance of of being on there. Not saying that their courses 
any less quality, uh, but it's it's much easier to receive that education where the amount of course spots available, amount of courses which are run or how many spots are on those courses are far, far, far smaller in the UK. So the amount of qualified coaches in the UK compared to the likes of Germany and Spain is far, far smaller. So you've got, you've got, to, you've got to understand the circumstances behind that, why that person may not have the have the have the qualification but often it's nothing to do with their with their coaching ability so i think everything's with a with a with a with a, with a balance and um, you'll be a certain caliber if you're you a for me coach but it doesn't mean by divine right that you're better than or superior to someone with vacation yeah i remember on my ua for c where you had kind of like a quite a wide variety of a pool of coaches in there some of them were quite young and they were actually looking at like this is a career for me i want to carry on i want to get the b i want to get the yeah i really want a career in football and then there was others a little bit more like myself who were like, you know, I'm really interested in football, but the reality is it's it's, it's probably not going to be a job for me yeah. because actually the financial picture of it is quite restrictive. Uh, I mean, you've spent quite a lot of time actually in coaching. How have you found that aspect of things? Because it's a lot of time commitment and probably not that rewarding from a money aspect, but you get other rewards, don't you? Sure, sure. So it's not, if you're, if you're looking from a solely a financial perspective, it's a difficult road to, to, to go. Um, of course, there are, there are lucrative options should you develop and certain positions when you get to a certain seniority. But uh, for the vast majority, it's it's a lot of time and it's a lot of effort and it's something you have to be passionate about. Otherwise, it couldn't become a chore. It could become a wane. So in terms of balance, the amount of hours that you're putting in, it's not just as a player. I thought I was putting in a lot of hours by turning up 40 minutes before the session getting a good stretching, doing my little touches and pieces, afterwards doing a little warm down, and that was my extra bit. Whereas in here, you're you're planning the session, you're writing that up, you're thinking about it, you're discussing it, you're then going up early to set up, you're then doing the session, then afterwards you're cleaning up, you're the last person to leave, you're reviewing the session with the other coaches, how did it go, what went well, what didn't go well, um, where does this fit in your bluff of training? You spend much, much more hours thinking about your training, thinking about what you need to do recruitment-wise, outside of actually those specific match days or coaching hours. They're, they're outweighed by everything you're doing out of it. So it is, it is a big time commitment and it's something, but I thoroughly enjoy it. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. So I've got to make sure I have everything in balance and I'm disciplined with my time and in terms of what I want to do behind that. But you would struggle, I think, to to progress without understanding that it that it that it comes with a, a high work. So what what age ranges do you coach from? So I've coached from under sevens to to open age in regards to different different other players at the moment. Uh, primarily uh, under sixteen. So your your YDP your youth development base in terms of uh, what what would be classed as uh, so youth development base at the moment. But I have coached from. On the more age groups. Okay. What sort of determines success then with that age group? Because, you know, when I look at that, it's a very impressionable group, I assume. That, like, so kind of look at it, you know, puppy dog eyes looking at you, really wanting to learn and engage. But what does the success actually look like for the coach? So it depends on what, I think we have joint expect expectations. At this age and with this, with this kind of a group, it's, it's not winning the league title or winning every single game of course i feel like there's a balance where some schools of thought are it's all about development whereas in if you're thinking solely about development at 16 and then you go and play the men's game at 17 
and it's solely about results, that's quite a switch. Mm. And if you're not used to that kind of pressure, it, it can be it can be a big leap. It can be a big leap, and people are are, are are found out. But at the same time, it can't be just results based because then you're not prepared for them for the game going on quality wise. So it's got to be a balance. So. I set my store in regards to a certain standard of play, certain principles to get that result. So not going to to do anything to get the result by playing playing a certain way. And then to to go back to the original question, the overall end goal is to get the boys playing at our highest level possible as they can, whether that's within this club or or elsewhere where we've had certain certain success stories. But it's getting them prepared to do what they to do what they want. So some boys have, have gone on to play academy football some have now just received their scholarships so we'll be going football full-time next year um some are looking at the sort of college path and then university path in america and what that may look like someone looking to go and play can they play step four football step three football next year so different goals but it's ultimately helping them pursue their pursue their passion and play at the highest level that they can We'll come back to it later because it was quite an interesting thing you said there about the jump from kind of being adolescent and then going into the men's game where the expectations completely switch. But I guess you mentioned there's some success in terms of some players have gone on to scholarships, academy positions. Do they have like an, you know, a set of characteristics that is common across these or has it been very much almost like a you know a club wanted a certain type of player and actually you, you had kind of developed a player of that remit or is it actually they had this, this, this and this was a common thing that I should be striving for as a young player? So I think there'll always be in terms of profile characteristics that, that clubs are looking for in terms of skill sets and what they want for a player but I think all of them had in common a determination and an ambition in terms of what they wanted to achieve. I speak to them all the time. So a certain aspect, we can look at the same player and think completely different things. And neither of us can be wrong because it can be an opinion. So for instance, I can tell you, I think Jordan Henderson's passing distribution is average. I think he's a good, a good player, but I think in terms of how he di- dictates play, it's quite safe. You could think, oh no, he sprays the ball. He's a great playmaker, right? And neither of us can, we can have a different opinion on that. But what can't be wrong is how fit Jordan Henderson is. Yeah. So that's in a, that's in an Excel spreadsheet. That's maths. That's a yo-yo test. That's whatever the lactate test, whatever that is. That's how fit he is. He's not going to wake up fit tomorrow. He's not, that's not by accident. That's by pure work rate mm. and striving, striving to be the best. So all those tick boxes in terms of getting yourself in the best physical condition is, is, what I look at that is not just necessarily the physicality of they can get up and down the pitch. Thinking mentally, psychologically, they must be eating right to be that fit. They must be they must be sleeping right to 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 be that fit. So their mindset is they're thinking about the game and they're doing things that others are. And at this age, it's being confident within themselves enough to separate themselves from the crowd. It doesn't mean they can't have friends, but it means they understand that they have the discipline that they're not going to do the Friday night because they've gone to the gym on Friday and they're going to get up early Saturday morning and stretch. And although their friends have had a great night and it's all on Instagram and they, they feel like they're missing out, after three months of that, they're, they've really, they're really excelled. There's a real parallel between where they and their friends are. And they've got an ambition that they have to, that they're, that, that they're trying to reach. And ultimately that's individual football's a team sport, but there's a really big individual parts of it. 
So that steam determination and discipline and understanding what they want. You'll often hear, you know, what what, what do you want to be? Kids, I'm, I'm not too sure. What do you want to do uni? I'm not too sure yet. Well, I mean, if you want to be a footballer, okay, how are you going to go about it? How, what what are you doing? And they all had that that their eye on the eye on the prize in terms of what they want to do. Good good listeners wanted feedback. Was that self driven though, or is it, it was it a skill that as a coach you had to kind of help them realise, or is it something that maybe their parents were helping them as well? Because I think sometimes you're a, you're a product of your environment as well. So you know, if, if I look at I don't know, if we named any player, and you could, you can probably quite clearly see a player who's had a good coaching bring up because there's only so many hours you can actually have training and coaching or being coached, sorry, and a player who hasn't had that, you can notice the difference. Yeah. Um, so how much do you think is that a product of the environment and how much of it is actually from within, given their age? So 100% the, the background upbringing, the influences around is, is huge. Support can come in different ways. It's players from footballing families, fathers, mothers, cousins, brothers, who have been in the game and kind of help educate them. But then there's also mothers who have no idea about the game, but are willing to find out and ask the question, looking to support their child which again is hugely, hugely supportive. In regards to that, I'll always speak to them in terms of what their ambition is. So some of them are aware, for instance, okay, I know my weak foot's not good enough. I need to practice that. What can I do? That might come from them, where some of them, it might be a little bit more guided discovery. Okay, where do you fit in your game? What do you think you can do better? Uh, score more goals. Okay, as a striker, can you score more goals? How do you score? What's the majority of chances that you scored this season? Okay, I've, uh, I've beat my man, beat him in the first post, near post, and kind of got click-ons. Okay, good. Have you, how many goals have you scored with your weak foot, or right foot, left foot, head? I've scored 20 with my right foot, two with my left, one with my head. Okay, so can we see something to work with there? So it's more of a conversation, but I'm still not trying to give them a direct answer. As, as such, leading them towards that where some... As a burst instance, they knew what they needed to improve. Where that we put this time, you're kind of guiding them towards that. What can you do? And it's self-discovery as well for me in regards to what they what they're doing. Um, but giving them, yeah, giving them a guide, but a, a, a chance to. So, do you find then that there's a, a stronger link between kids who have come from maybe underprivileged backgrounds, where that they haven't had necessarily the support off the pitch but can still make it i think i think i think it's uh it's difficult to to, to categorize now i think especially even when I, when I was growing up i think kids from underprivileged backgrounds typically would would want would have that desire that grit and desire and, and what have you and people from more privileged backgrounds maybe didn't again that's a categorization and a stereotype because you can't class everyone in the same pitch and just looking as a first First hand example of my squad, it's varied. Although they have different backgrounds, I, I, I can't put a certain a, a certain way of beat uh, their sort of their family bringing or their financial status or what have you means that they're put there in that certain box. Each of them have their own story and their own case, and th those kind of biases are are now being are being blurred, and they they just each got their own. Because the, re the reason that they're kind of I suppose asked it is because you said about you know eating right off the pitch and yeah. getting a good night's sleep etc some people won't have necessarily I know that sounds really basic to, sure. to maybe you and I but some kids maybe won't have the support of the right food on the table they maybe don't have 
a safe environment to sleep at night. Sure. Do you see that having an impact at, at training and on the pitch, or does that does the desire just you know carry them through? It can, and I, don't, I think everyone's not going to necessarily have the the same access. But it's always about doing the most that you can. So, for instance, you might not be able to dictate what food you have, right? But you may be able to dictate that you can have two liters of water a day, because that you have access to that, whether at school in the fountains or or, or at home or have you. That's something that you can do. If the only food you have at dinner is whatever your mom makes, then also there's a there's a balance of that's what you that's what you've got to eat. But then maybe you don't need the chocolate at X, Y, and Z. But then the amount of calories that these kids are burning, I'm trying to give, they, they can to a certain level. So I'm just trying to give them as much education as, as possible and advice and do the best that they can. And there will be different circumstances as there is in all walks of life. But it's just about giving them the best opportunity. It's like the attitude element that sits behind it, isn't it? So despite your environment, if you've got the attitude, it, that should go through to the application. Yeah, no, I think you get the rewards from that, don't you? Absolutely. I think the the what we can do as well is once they're within this training environment, everyone's the same. We've all aligned in regards to the goals. We all want to be the best that we can, all respectful, all work hard, all look to enjoy ourselves. Those are all common traits and, and mandatory to be in there. So if you're not enjoying the environment, then it's not, it's not for you. So, because that's the most important important thing. And what we'll see in terms of creating that kind of environment. So at first I was quite quite strict with the boys. Discipline that, you can imagine at that age, if you give them an inch at 16. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, where the, it's, it's that where it started. At, at 16, the discipline kind of comes in. Or even earlier. Yeah, so there's a set requirement and there's a switch for instance, that needs that needs to be hit from when we start the warm up to when we're actively engaged. There has to be a, 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 a certain mindset of, of striving to be the best. And now, when other when other players are coming into the environment on a trial basis or new signings or what have you, it's the players who are leading that environment, and they're also witnessing what's happening. So that often the feedback that we get was this kid was a nightmare elsewhere, and I was I could never imagine that. Ever since he's been in this environment, he's been good as gold. Someone had, uh, I've got told one of my players, so he's a new signing, um, as in just happened in the summer. Last season, he got seven red cards. Wow. This season, I, if I had to put him down on regards to who, who I thought that, he'd be bottom quarter. So the environment that we've helped create is now breeding across. And that's not necessarily because I've spent 100 hours with him. That's because... We've installed some principles and now the players are leading that. So no matter what environment they're coming from, the environment we've created here as a hub is what can help build. So and your culture is led by exactly. the players from the front. It's the culture which is, which, is, which, is, which is created and it's driven by the players or whatever experiences they've had. Sometimes a player speaking to another player will do have a bigger effect than me speaking to that player. I kind of want to go back to the JPL and um, a, a link in that. So the JPL is the Junior Premier League, isn't it? So that's for the age groups from... I think under nines. There's probably the youngest, nines, tens. Yeah, and all the way up to the 18s. Okay. And then there's um, kind of the version that people used to call reserve football, which is the Premier League 2 as well. So that's kind of like the adult version yeah. of, the, of the JPL. Now, it gets a very, like, varied reviews in terms of its effect effectiveness. Um 
In terms of players, would you say that playing up an age group or with older players, would that be beneficial? I think it's, it's a great question. I think it depends on where that person, that player is within their within their, their development. So what you can get across those age formats is everyone's trying to play good football. 80% of the teams are trying to play it from the back. Mm-hmm. Um, the football's on the floor. And it's about development. Whereas in the, when you go to men's football, if that team is better than me, I can't play through the press. I'm going low. If that team is better than us, we're going to sit in a block and we're going to try and get something off the set piece. That keeper's thinking, we don't feel like he can come and claim the ball. We're going to we're going to test that keeper. So it's a different, completely different style of football at times. It sounds like there's uh, almost like an absence for plan B. Yeah, it, exactly that. And the level of competitiveness, I believe, as well. Um, about getting that about getting that result and also the obvious one which is physicality which 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 goes up a couple a, a couple of notches so i think it's important to get that experience but it's also when the time is right for that for that play you don't want to send someone in when they're 16 and then it's a real baptism of of, of fire and they're used to getting the ball from the center back play to the right back getting it back and and play to the left back and a slower pace and then throwing them and all of a sudden they get an elbow in the ribs in the in the in the middle of the path. But there will be a time where they do have to go through that experience. So it's when it's right to then. It depends on which team you're also going to. So are they gonna learn anything from that team? Are there any veterans in that I think that's always really, really important. We see it. Yeah. So when we're talking playing up, there has to be a level where if they're playing up, I don't want them to be the best player. Mm. I want them to learn something. Yeah. And and have a have sort of see an example that they're they're trying to follow. So I think I think that I think that's really important. I think there is definitely a time and a place for it, because um, it it gives you that that the different experience and prepares you, takes you away from that safety net. But at the same time, you you've got to be ready and you've got to be uh, equipped within that team. So he talks about taking people out of almost a comfort environment yeah. to get them to that step up. He yeah. talks about ingredients maybe like away from skill necessarily yes so how do you make sure they're mentally ready for that step what does that look like from a coach's perspective so it's good you can see sort of how one i think they, again they've got to have the skill level to go up there if they're going to start playing up and they're playing in an open so from well then playing i'm 16 i'm only playing against 16 year olds and now i'm playing against 27 year old a 32 year old a 21 year old and what have you they have got to have a level of skill that is going to adapt to that game that they're, that they're capable, there's a certain level of competence. In terms of mindset, how well are they dealing with setbacks? So how, if they've missed a chance and now their head's gone for the next 10 minutes, here it's very, it can be very much, you have a poor touch, no problem. Let's focus on the next one. Men's football, if, it, if I, I remember myself, if I got a pass, so I was very average paced, even when I was young. So I'd, I'd run the channels now and again, I want the ball to my feet. So I've got the ball a yard, away from my foot. I'm looking at you thinking, are you, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? Look, it's, it's, and likewise, it'd be the same. If you try a Cruyff turn and get tackled or fall over or give the ball away, it, it can be a really, really brutal environment. So you have to have that thick skin and up. And so as a coach, we're seeing how well can they deal with setbacks. And there might be a time where they're doing okay. They still, they don't have to be perfect but they're ready for that next level 
of 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 a ball. It's kind of like I I I equate it to going to the gym. If you can do ten press ups, but you only ever do eight or seven, you're never going to be able to do twelve. You're not going to be able to go past your limit. You're going to be able to do ten, 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 then eleven. I mean, you're looking at Owen and Lord, and then you're looking at Owen and Lord. You know that Owen does more than ten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's looking. I think I went to the gym earlier today. I think I'm need to have another protein shake. <laughs> but yeah. It's 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 having a level of to answer your question that how well they deal with setbacks, what their mentality is like, what their confidence is like, how well are they socially? So you're looking at if you think of the FA four corner model, I'm not too sure if you if you really well for, for for other people, what what is it? So you've got your your technical and your tactical corner, and you've got your physical corner, you've got your social corner, and you've got your psychological corner. And here socially and psychologically, I think socially they'll learn a lot from being in an environment where it, it, it means so much. So speaking to some of the scholars at the Dons who have now gone on loan to, to the step three, step four clubs, they've only ever played with their mates as such. Yeah. And they're thinking, okay, we have, we have one uh, next start. Now they're playing with people who are on contracts, who if they're earning a bit of income, it's their livelihood. They've got kids, they've got a mortgage. It means, it means it's a lot. Oh, yeah. So when the pass is sure or they've made a mistake it's not necessarily just that competitiveness it's it's a livelihood there's a real real importance on that so in a way you, you, you've got you've got to balance it right but it's it's how well they deal with setbacks what their confidence is like what their mentality is like what their work rate is like and you will have a bit of everything physically can they cope to summarize from the coaching aspect of things what would be your one key piece of advice that you'd give to to a kid aspiring to be a Premier League footballer. The, the maths of it is 1% of players will go to academies. Yeah. 1% of the academy players will play first team. So it's very, very, very slim. I speak to some of my old boys now and I'll try and give them the equation. I say, without doubt, you are, if I had all 1,000 under 16 JPL footballers here, you're in the top 100. I know that for certain. Sometimes you can lose perspective looking at the 100 people ahead of you. Hmm. rather than looking by the shoulder and looking at the 900 that you're ahead of. Because yep. in that line of a 1,000, only the one person at the very front is going to make it there. So it's important to understand that's not the only success. You, you, you've got to look at the calibre of player that you are. You're ahead of 900 players. Then going up that line of 100 is there's luck, there's opportunity, there's fitness, and it's all the 1%. It's yeah. a little bit of skill on that bright that day that scout comes. Did you have a good day? Did you have a good day but they didn't see? They didn't see what you did. They were looking the other way. They left at half time. Whatever that whatever that may be. But as long as you're doing everything that you can, you're giving yourself the greatest opportunity. So there's no guarantee. But what you can do is everything you can do in your control. Can you be fitter than everyone else? I always use that because for me, that's just work rate. Yeah. Whereas in dropping your shoulder, being able to beat someone, putting the ball in the top corner, yes, we can all get better at that. But there's a certain level of, of natural ability as well that needs to be nurtured. And there's a certain level um, where some players will excel quicker than others. But the, the physical one will show me where your mentality is, more than just where your fitness is to work great. But doing everything that you can and to, to, be, to go where other players aren't going to go, you got to do something that they're that they're not doing. You got to do everything above and beyond. How many times are you playing football? How many times are you stretching? Are you trying to improve? Simple one. When we're simple warm up, 
speaking to my players yesterday. If no one's there with them and they're there, they're there 40 minutes early for the session. So they're playing the ball off the wall, bouncing off the wall. Same as I was talking about when I was three years old. But even then, you can go left foot, right foot. And if you hit it with enough pace, the ball's going to come back off the wall that your first touch is going to be half decent. If you're just chipping it at the wall, you're just wasting your time. Mm. You're not striking the ball properly. You're not getting any repetitions on your first touch. So set yourself high standards with everything that you do. Work hard and then also give yourself enough time to see progress. Don't think, oh, I've been working hard while well for three weeks. I remember as well. So when I was on my coaching academy, and um, we had uh, Frank on there, and Frank's uh, quite a well-known Chelsea youth coach. But uh, he used to call the kind of the kicking a ball at an empty net the English disease. Yeah. Because it's like, like you just said there, what do you actually learn from it? But the, the amount of people you see when there's no one around, no one of any discipline, they'll just grab a ball and kick it at the net. But you're not actually, like you said, there's no realism behind that. You're not learning anything because you're striking one ball and that's it. And it's a bit of luck. I'm, I'm maybe chipping it one time. Maybe I'm hoping for a crossbar. There's not really that skill involved with it. Whereas if you challenge yourself before then, do a left foot, right foot, a different technique. It's, it's, that, it's that intensity. So for instance, yeah. you're going to go play with your mates at Power League and you're there early, find the side. It's hitting the ball in the empty net or it's shifting it quickly on your foot and trying to hit the corner and it might go wide. Some people are so focused on what the other people on the side, outside are looking at. Where I'm looking at, if I see someone get the ball, drive forward and aim for the corner and miss rather than be safe and hit the middle of the net I can see they're trying to improve that they're going to progress by practicing that executing that setting their standards high making it materialistic that's going to benefit them rather than being safe yeah. and it can, it can be difficult but then ultimately that's what that's what football will be so if that's truly your ambition that's why you've got to work towards Cool. Well, you're also part of a new breed of, of scout, which kind of have a coaching background. I know Owen's dying to ask you a couple of questions about scouting. So what have you got for Nathan? Then? So as a, I suppose as a coach then, one of the best things you could see would be your players moving on and seeing success and I suppose seeing this 1% come to fruition. So as a coach, what's your kind of relationship like with scouts and how much leverage can you apply to them? So it depends on the scouts, to be honest with you. Is it any opportunity that would come for the players that I'd try and push them towards? Different scouts will look for different things, both from individual biases to club philosophies to what that club needs at the time. They might see an outstanding striker, but they've got five walk and they need a left back. So it, it can be different, different, different criteria. All I'm focused on is the boys as such and their performance and that and what they can do to be the best versions of themselves. The scouts then will look at what they see and what they feel that they can mold because they can have it. One of the one of the players, for instance, who has recently got a scholarship at, at another club, he scored 30 goals and got 17 assists for me as a as a nine or a shadow striker. They're impressive. Yeah, and they've taken him and they're playing him as sort of a, a hard-working right-winger. His goals are nowhere near what they what they were, uh, but he's giving them something else, a different outlet. My personal opinion still is he would be more effective in the, in the middle, but their what their prerogative is in terms of how many forwards they have, what they feel like they're getting from here, what their formation is, those are all different kind of contributing factors. So ultimately, it's just about 
the boys perform at the highest level that they can. And then you, you, you'll have a look at, I remember Chelsea, Victor Moses was there, no manager fancied him, he had about four loans. Yeah. Conte had him and he played every single game with right wing back. Yeah. Because no one else, he wasn't a right back and he wasn't a right winger. He fitted that mould under, under Conte's eyes. He played every single game and they won the league. And after Conte left, when oh, I know, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, and you're looking at the managers who are there, um, who are having a look at him, you know, Gossidian, Mourinho, or what have you, all top class elite coaches with a history of winning, but they saw something completely different. It's just about getting the boys to, to perform at the highest level. And then from there, it's it's, it's sort of... So if we have um, like parents listening to this podcast, yeah. um, what would the kind of age be where you would expect to see scouts at matches? Scouts will be at all games, to be honest with you. From early on now, they try and recruit at an early age. You have under seven, under eight talent ID events, which, are, which parents can sign up to and go to uh, open days and right to 16, 17, 18, obviously the livelihood... It's less so then as the windows smaller the amount of spots within the within within the squad the ability that that person has to have whereas if you're sorry a younger player there's more chance to nurture that potential whereas in the older they are the more the finished product they they they, they, they would have to be but right all the way through there'll be there'll be there'll be scouts watching games but I think what parents can get fixated on is trying to play for their best team and it, 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 there are certain teams who have a history of producing players and you will then have a scouts will be be aware of that club and the profile and the history of that club but you want to look at your child's success especially at a young age and the most important for, thing for them is game time and enjoying their football so that for me their game would develop much more by playing half a game to a full game for a bottom quarter of the uh, bottom quarter of the league side rather than playing 10 minutes the top of the league they might feel good being in that squad in that environment but what's going to be the best thing for that child is is experience is a love for the game which they're going to get by playing it as much as as much as possible minutes and they're minutes on the pitch a, a chance to develop their talent and as that happens what will naturally occur is other teams will see oh he's a, he's a good player because scouts aren't just picking the top goal scorers or the best players from the best teams they can see if a team is poor, but they've got a really good left back. He was constantly getting to the byline, put gate crosses in. There was no assist because the striker didn't quite read it or the right winger didn't tuck in. But the left back or the left winger did did really, really well. So they're not necessarily looking at just the best players from their best teams. It, those attributes will, will stand out. So it's just focusing on the on the child development first and foremost. Brilliant. So... Yeah, everything I wanted to ask you is um, through your coaching, you've become a member of the Inclusion Advisory Group. Yeah. Now, that's with the Beds FA. Yeah. What does that actually mean? So, what that means is effectively what the Inclusion Advisory Group are there to do is to support the underrepresentation in football. From, from both, yeah, support underrepresented groups in football, whether that be from ethnic diversity to disability to gender, to whatever that may be, but making help make football as accessible as possible for as many people. So there were events, for instance, held at the back end of last season for, for refugees who 
didn't understand how to sign up to football, weren't aware, didn't have equipment in terms of boots, balls and what have you. So an event was set up for them, they were provided with kit, equipment and had a day of a tournament which was organised for them and allowed them, football's universal, on maybe players who speak a different language and we community, clap, like, one clap, like, pass me the ball, step is back, he's, he's going to make the run. And uh, <laughs> we got it. So we can all relate. It just takes your mind away from wherever you're thinking. If for that 60 minutes, 30 minutes, 90 minutes, whatever you're playing, you're thinking about football. Oh, I find it hard to exercise if I'm not playing football. I'll go to the gym to be in football shape. If I'm not playing football, then I'll lose motivation. So people have different guises. It's not just all about trying to be a Premier League, Champions League player or, or what have you. Football at any level can be so beneficial uh, for, for, for people. So that was one thing. We've had South Asian um, history events in regards to trying to get the community together to understand what their challenges are. How can we break down barriers, share best practice, uh, Black History Month events and, and, and webinars, and just trying to make yeah empower all, all groups of society to be able to to be able to enjoy the game. Do you think there's still quite a lot of barriers that exist in the world? Because I think oh, and you looked at it, didn't you? You did some research on I, I guess the Indian group of players, and it, yeah, there wasn't that many. Was there's there? only been four Indian play or players of Indian descent who have ended up on Premier League clubs' books. So we've got, um, from what I could find, we had, we had Michael Chopper, um, we had Jan Dander, uh, Luciano Narsing, uh, and, and Danny and Danny Bath. That's kind of all we've, all I could find. Yeah. We're doing some research, uh, uh, and I don't think I'm wrong, because there isn't many that come through. And bearing in mind how long, you know, we've had migration into this country for, why do you think these barriers still exist it's is it's really difficult but there's a, there's a combination of, of of factors and just looking at the history there's a there's a real big stereotype around asian players and then some of them are stupid for instance looking back at the the black players suffered from this in around the 1970s stupid excuses like oh they didn't like playing in the cold and things like that like which, which were given which was absolutely ridiculous and we still find ourselves in that instance in regards to Asians aren't athletic. Uh, they don't really care about football. They prefer cricket. Uh, they just want to focus on uh, on education and what have you. And those stereotypes uh, occur. So that sometimes in recruitment or, or what have you, there'll be an unconscious bias in regard to why these players aren't selected. Not necessarily blatant outright racism. But these factors in the head from what the stories are is implanting an idea of what the, uh, these, this, this section of society is, is, is about effectively. But then th there is still institutional racism and blatant outright racism as well. And then I think the community just gets disillusioned that there's a lack of role models. There's a lack of a, a reference point. You see um, kid now, a scoring left foot, right foot, strikes the ball, great, great strike. Oh, it's was little Harry Kane. Or, oh, he turns on a swivel with his left foot, little Phil Folden. But for an Asian player, there's no one to relate to. Mm. There's no one to give us that reference point. Or for parents to feel like, actually, that person's broken through. It's accessible for my, my, my son or my daughter. It is slowly changing. So I've been, do so, you know, been involved with some stuff for the PFA. So there's over around 100 kids uh, from... South Asian heritage 
who are in the academy system wow. um, ar ar around the country at the moment. Um, there's some players breaking through. So you've got uh, Brandon Keeler, who just made his first team debut for uh, for Birmingham City. Um, you got Jan, who you mentioned, still play. He plays for for for, for Ross County in the yeah in the in the in the, in the SPL. Mal Benning, uh, he's made about 400 league appearances. Uh, He's playing for Shrewsbury now, so I played with Mel when I was younger. Um, so yeah, know him and and he's had, he's had he's had he's had a good he's had a good career. Harpal Singh was the first player Asian player. He was on the bench in the Premier League. Was it Leeds? Leeds never got on, but he was in the squad with Robbie Fad, Rio Ferdinand, Robbie Keane, Mark Leduca. Uh, but these stories are so few and far between. Yeah. Trying to count on our hands, that's five, ten. Players and you know speaking to speaking to p players, people within Asian background, the football map, the football career. Yeah. So it's an absolute anomaly. It doesn't make sense uh, why why it hasn't happened. But hopefully, this generation now, these players in academies will be slowly making that breakthrough. So you can see success and little green shoots happening, but the foot still needs to be put on the gas, and there's still a real, real long way. Long way to go. Well, hopefully the building blocks and the, the work that you're doing in the group helps. And I think, you know, it, it, if it can build it to the point where there is more of those role models and actually there's more of that attachment, like you say, hopefully all the, all the groundwork's there where we are maybe, we're potentially maybe a generation away. Yeah. And actually if we are a generation away, that's a lot closer than we have been for a long time. So it's it's only because of the, the, the work that the groups are doing that, that that's even become apparent i guess yeah it's, it, look if you can see you can believe it and that's huge you need that that reference and that and that role model and and we mentioned earlier like backgrounds people coming from advice what kind of environment they are how often do you see a professional player then their child then their nephew they're in the, then they're yeah. you know i mean they're in the system not necessarily just do nepotism but through the actual upbringing of i know what it takes yeah i know how to train what to look like, little things like, for instance, give you a tip for any parents out there. There's a trial day. Go get your kid bright yellow socks, <laughs> right? Wear them to your knees and they'll, they'll stand out from a mile. Thinking, that kid with yellow socks? I'll just be drawn to him anyway. Now I'm more likely to have a look if there's 50, 60, 70 kids as just human nature, just by what they're wearing. And there's little things that was passed on to me from people that then can be passed on going, going forward and there's little tips a little advice um a little bit oh i know what you went through a little bit and that will help because the the community then will be more more positive and see a more realistic opportunity as well mm. that they're that they're there but there was a recent scout from a from a premier league club with a comments that this week that came out that you know, Asians, they prefer cricket. Their, their families aren't really interested in it. They don't really like football. Like an absolute dinosaur. Archaic views, aren't they? views in a current Premier League Category 1 academy, spreading that unemployed. So if that's the kind of attitude that is kept within the recruitment, what kind of chance or what kind of realistic opportunity is there for any change? That's what? still here in 2024. Exactly. So, and it's not. It's still there, isn't it? it, it ex exactly. Exactly. And it, it has to be wiped out. It has to be. Well, uh, let, let's hope that 
all the work that you're doing helps eradicate that because it's, there's no place for it in the game. And you've heard it here first, folks. If you if you ever want your kid to get anywhere in football, <laughs> bright coloured socks, <laughs> socks. Is, is the way to go. It's a myth, it's a myth, but it might just help out. <laughs> so get those pink socks on order, <laughs> those yellow socks on order, and that hopefully that gives you I'll that extra one percent. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, like I say, really grateful for having you along uh, to join the podcast today, Nathan. So thanks no very much for your time. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening to the Football Forum podcast. Don't forget to click follow so you don't miss out on future episodes. Up the FFP.